who we are is defined by whose we are. And, and that's the important thing is it's not who we are, but whose we are. And, and, and that's the, the title of my message this morning is whose I am defines who I am. And, and what I've realized is throughout scripture, the theme of father and son is a very big thing. So when we look at identity in terms of being children of God, we then take it through to looking identity in, be, in terms of God being our father. And it's the, 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 the double side of that identity coin. And I just want to share a few little facts regarding fathers. But first of all, from a scriptural point of view, um, if you go look in Matthew 1 and you go through the genealogy of Jesus, you'll see that the genealogy speaks in the context of the father. So it speaks of the lineage from the fathers. If you go read Luke 3, you'll see the lineage is from the sons. So the same lineage depicted in a very different way. One is from the perspective of this is the son of so-and-so, who is the son of so-and-so, who is the son of so-and-so. And the other one is the father of so-and-so, the father of so-and-so, the father of so-and-so. Why is this important? Is because it highlights the emphasis that God places on father and son. So if, as I'm used to doing, going through my notes back to front, says in John 14, verse 5 to 11, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, I have been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe on account of the works themselves. So when we see the Son, we see the Father. And this theme is throughout Scripture. There's a gentleman by the name of Ahitab, is I think how you pronounce it, and his name is mentioned 15 times in Scripture. 12 times it talks about him being the, uh, his sons being the sons of Ahitab, and three times it speaks about Ahitab being the father of the sons. It doesn't make any mention of who he is and what he does, but it's often referring to the context of what his sons are doing. But yet, his, this guy was mentioned 15 times in Scripture. And we don't actually know anything about him, other than we know who his sons are. Um, and we know who his fathers are. But, but that's the context of this guy. Um, I know for me, when I was looking at leaving Nexus, when I was working in Joburg, and we were looking at planting a, ch a church, and I was lamenting through this thing, and I worked in a family business, I worked with my dad-in-law, and God took me through to the sons of Zebedee. If you look at the disciples, there's the two sons of Zebedee, and the father was honored because of the decision that the sons made. His name is purely referenced because his sons were willing to make a step in terms of being disciples of Jesus. So there's something of this theme that is so vitally important. Jesus says when we pray, he says, our father, opening line. Why? Because it establishes his identity as son and it establishes the authority of the father before he even starts speaking. He ushers us in and says, actually, when you pray, recognize the significance of your identity before you start praying. 
And by recognizing your identity as child, you're recognizing the identity of the father as father. So in America, it's easier to find stats of America, so I'll use them as my guinea pig for this morning. It says there is a father absence crisis, is the definition that they use to describe absent fathers in America. The father absence crisis in America, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, 18.4 million children, of them, one in four live without a biological, a step or adoptive father in the home. Consequently, there is a father factor in nearly all social ills facing America today. Okay? In Mississippi has the highest number of children living in absent father homes of 36.2%, followed by Louisiana of 34.4% and Alabama of 30.7%. So they roughly one in three. One of the side effects or the, the, the consequences of the absent father crisis in America is likelihood to act up. So there's a four times greater risk of poverty. There's more likely to have behavioral problems. Um, there's a two times greater risk of infant mortality. Um, you're more likely to go to prison if you live in an absent father home. You're more likely to commit a crime. Um, seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teen. You're more likely to face abuse and neglect, more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol. You're two times more likely to suffer obesity and two times more likely to drop out of high school. So these are areas that they've identified that are linked to absent fathers in America. And the consequences of that. Now, I've often said God reveals himself to us in two relationships. The father, so we his children, and through marriage, bride of Christ. The two most attacked relationships in the world today, fathers and marriage. Why? Because if the enemy can distort our understanding of those two areas, he hinders our ability to walk in the fullness of what Christ has called us to. So, if he can attack fathers and fathers become something of a brokenness and people lift that picture up and they filter through the father heart of God through a broken understanding of earthly father, they don't walk in the fullness of what that means. There was an ad on TV years ago, a little boy throwing stones at a window. And out walks this man who looks like he's just arrived home from work and he's wearing his slacks with his belt on and he was wearing just a vest so he'd taken off his work shirt and he screams at this little boy and he says I will find your father as this kid starts running away the little boy turns around to the man looks up at him and says will you really find my father it was an ad for boys town and I couldn't find the advert I actually wanted to play it but I couldn't find it but will you really find my father There are 2.38 billion Christians in the world today out of a population of 7.9, which equates to two in three people are deemed to be not a Christian. Now, if Jesus says in the passage of Scripture I read through earlier, John 14, says, no one comes to the Father except through me, that tells me that two out of three people are walking in an absent heavenly Father realm in the earth that we've got. So now... Matthew 7, verse 7 to 11, it says, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? If we live in a world where people are walking absent from the Heavenly Father, 
they don't walk into the fullness of what that means for them to be, for God to be their father. I was at Tree Trails uh, two weeks ago, no, last week, last week, Saturday, for Kayla's birthday, and uh, there's a couple of kids from her class doing their little acro branch type uh, tree trail thing, and they were all very excited until they got up to the height, and then all of a sudden, some of these kids looked down and realized they weren't called to, to be up there. And they were quite short staffed, so the lady who runs the place said, is it possible that one of the parents could help? So I landed up getting harnessed in, and I started helping some of these kids along the obstacles. And the one little girl, eventually, she was midway through an obstacle, and she shouted back, and she said, Nick, where are you? I can't do this without you. And it's amazing having the presence of a father up there got some of these children through obstacles that they thought were impossible to, to overcome. They, sometimes they got through the other side with tears running down their face, but they got to the other side and, and they made it through the course because I was there with them and there was times when I would hold them by the hand and I would maneuver. But there was one little girl who, before she went, she wasn't feeling too comfortable with this. So her family brought her in the morning and her dad did the course with her before she came. And she had absolutely no issues whatsoever. And there's a distinction between the presence of a father and the presence of my father. And this little girl, she just, she went through without hesitation. But her dad took the time in that morning and went and paid. And he did the course with her so that she was prepared by the time it came for her, her to do it. Because he knew his little girl needed the presence of her father. Many Christians walk through life with the presence of a father, a revelation of a father. But without having the full understanding of the revelation of my father. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Our father. Jesus had such an incredible revelation of the father. So much so that when he speaks to his disciples, he says, but I and the father are one. If you see me, you've seen him. Why? Because I'm molded on him. A lot of what we've been preaching through has been going through Ephesians, but Ephesians 5 verse 1 says, I don't know where it is now, but it says, let us be imitators of God as dearly beloved children. Imitators of the Father as dearly beloved children. You look at that, and I remember when we named Kayla, the, the name Kayla says, like God, and I, and I remember the name being put on my heart. And as I was kind of praying through it, and I thought, gee, what a conceited name to name your child like God. I think I battle with the concept of this. And I was driving to work one day, and I was sitting in peak hour traffic, out coming off the, the, the Woodmead off-ramp in Joburg, and I felt God say, Nick, I want you to name her Kayla, because I've created her in my image. So her name means like God, because she's been created in His image. We too... Are like him. We have the insurmountable task of imitating him. And he says, don't worry, take the pressure off. But you get to do it because you are my child and I am your father. A father who's a protector, who's a hope, who's majestic, who's all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present, who is love, who is generous, and who is available for us. But if we take a broken picture and we see God as maybe a really good father but not our father. So often the little girls who didn't know my name on the, the, the trail tree trail thing would say, Kayla's dad, Kayla's dad, will you help me? Kayla's dad. 
They could look at me and see that I was capable of getting them through, but they still acknowledged my identity linked to Caleb because I'm Caleb's father, I'm not theirs. Many of us walk through our Christian walk looking at God and saying, Oh, Shanae's dad is an incredible God. Look at how he lavishes her. Look at how he loves her. And we've got this picture of this awesome father, but he's not ours and we don't have a sense of ownership. He's hers. And yes, he is hers, but he's also mine. And we need to start taking the filters that the devil has allowed to taint our ability to understand the fullness of the father and break that so that we can walk in the fullness of our identity as children. The other thing that we have is we might have had a bad father. We might have grown up in an absent father home. We might have grown up potentially with the presence of a father, but the father wasn't protector, wasn't good. He was maybe abusive. Maybe he, he hurt us. Maybe we look at God and we see a bad father because we've got this image in our heads of, God, if you anything like my father, I don't want you. I don't want a father in my life who would beat me or would speak um, words over me that weren't affirmative. Um, I want a, a good father, but I don't see that in you. So maybe we've got this broken image of the goodness of the father. And, and in that, we don't walk in the fullness of it. Now, even as Christians, we become children of God when we get saved. Um, Ephesians 1 from verse 3 to 14, which is my kind of foundation scripture for this morning, is from verse 3 to 14, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Note that the word there, blameless, is not sinless. Blameless means that we don't carry the responsibility of the sins that we've committed. Um, and that's because Jesus paid the, paid the price for us. And through his mercy, which is the pardon from a miserable consequence, we get to walk blameless and holy because of the righteousness of Christ bestowed upon us. So, so that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for the adoption to himself as sons through Christ Jesus, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have the redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. Our Father in art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He wants to unite things that are in heaven to the things that are on earth. In him we have, op we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed. Now the word there, sealed, with the promised Holy Spirit, refers to like if a king would um, send a letter. 
And he would take his wax seal, and his seal, when he put it in the wax, and he sealed the letter with that, it had his emblem, his name, his authority sealed that letter, so that people, when they saw it, they said, this is a letter from the king. In the same way, we've been sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. So here, it talks about the fact that we have actually been predestined for adoption as sons. What does that mean? Well, when we were created with purpose, the creation of who we are is so that we could become children of God. That his plan for our salvation was put into place before we were born. And in that, we have an inheritance. In it, we have the seal of the Holy Spirit with his, his emblem on us. That defines who we are. Because he says, when they look at you, they see my name written there. I worked with my dad-in-law for eight years, and it's amazing because I could sign with any, on anything with authority. And if I signed my name, he saw it as his name being signed. Because he had given me authority to do it. I walk into their home, and I, it's not my real dad. But I walk into his home and I can open the fridge. I've got access to anything. I can go take his keys out of his drawer and go take his car for a drive. And he doesn't ask me questions. doesn't even know where I'm going. Because if it's his, it's mine. Um, I've got the pin code to all his credit cards. So I can go into his wallet. I can take his credit card and I can go pay with his credit card. Because I have the pin codes to his credit card. Why? Because I'm a child in the father's house. Now he's not my real father. But I've been given access to his home as if it's my own. And, and I can walk into his home and I can ask him every time I want to grab a cold drink from the fridge. I can um, say I'm a little bit reluctant to drive his car because what happens if it gets into an accident? If it gets into an accident, he's got insurance. He, he can cover that. Why? Because he's my dad and he should. And, I, and you might look at it and say, but that's arrogant. No, it's not. But I recognize my identity in his home and I walk in the fullness of it. When we don't walk in the fullness of our identity in Christ, what happens is we might be given access to things, but are we comfortable to open the fridge? Are we comfortable to speak with authority? If someone comes there and he's not there, I manage those people because I manage on his behalf. When I used to go to my dad's factory when my dad was alive and I would walk in there, people would honor me because I was his son. I had no authority. I didn't even have signing powers. I, I wasn't a part of his business. But I would walk in there and I could take any tool and people would say, go for it. That's Miles' son. I walked in with a supernatural freedom and a supernatural authority because of my identity in that place. And my encouragement this morning is we need to get to a point of having a revelation of the goodness of God, the majestic, overwhelming bigness of God, and the fact that He calls us children. And so much so that we've been predestined to walk into the fullness of what that means. But many Christians live with an absent father mentality, even in church. So when people speak on the Father heart of God, and you've got a, a, a church full of it, and people come and speak of the lavishing love of the Father, you see Christians break down and cry. 
I'm saying, guys, we need to work into understanding who we've been created to be and who our Father is because there's something so incredibly special about it. When Jesus was baptized, the Spirit comes out and you hear this voice from heaven, this is my Son whom I love and with Him I'm well pleased. There's identity, acceptance and affirmation that is spoken over Him and all He's done is He's turned some water into wine. This is my Son, identity, whom I love, acceptance and with Him I'm well pleased, affirmation. The Father wants to speak identity, love, acceptance, affirmation over each one of us. Before we get saved, we get the love from the Father, we get um, a Savior in Jesus, and we get conviction from the Spirit. So the Bible says that the Holy Spirit has been sent to convict the world of sin. We have this incredible Savior in Jesus. And if you read John 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. We have love from the Father. But when we get saved, there's a transition in our understanding of relationship with the Trinity, and we get identity from the Father. We get authority from Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven has been given to me. Now therefore go and make disciples of all nations. If you look at when he sends out the 12 and he sends out the 72, he says, and he gave them authority to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to, to proclaim the good news. He gave them an authority. And we get power from the Spirit. When you go read Acts 1 and it says there, and when you receive the Spirit, you will have power. And then you'll be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. The problem is, is if we don't walk in the fullness of identity, we don't walk in the fullness of authority, we don't walk in the fullness of power. And I, I just really have a sense that um, what God's wanting to do is He's wanting to remind us of who we are in Him so that we can manifest that to an unbelieving world. There's 5.52 billion people who don't associate themselves with being Christian, which means there's 5.52 billion people who have never experienced the love of the Father. They've never accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. They've never had this encounter with the Holy Spirit that is just so incredible. Do our hearts break for those who are fatherless? I end off with this scripture. In 1 John 4, verse 7 to 12, it says, Beloved, let us, one love, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world, so that we might live through Him. In this, uh, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He has loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. The propitiation for our sins refers to the mercy seat in the Old Testament, where the mercy seat was the place in which the, the, the sacrifices were made so that there could be a blood was shed on that so as to pay the price. He, he fulfilled the ultimate sacrifice and became the, the, the ultimate um, Payment for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. The Father is love and we get to have access to that. We get to walk, we get to sign with authority, we get to open the fridge, we get to grab the car, we get to walk with the understanding of Lord taking strain where are you dad i can't get through this without you as that little girl shouted out to me nick 
can't do this without you. And I shimmied up close to her and tears dried up and she, she made her way. But I'm not her father. I'm a father, but not her father. Can you imagine the obstacles that God can equip us to overcome? The challenges, the hurts, the pains. Even Jesus, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he cries out, he says, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. His darkest hour, his most trying time, he cries out to the Father. Because he knows that his strength and his comfort to endure the cup that had been destined for him, to come to the other side of it, was only possible with the presence of his Father. Father, I can't do this without you. But the reality is the road that we've got to walk, the obstacles that we face, the giants that are on our paths, we can't do this without him. We can't do this without a revelation of the fact that we've been sealed with his name. And that in that, we have an incredible, incredible opportunity to overcome every obstacle to overcome every challenge, to come out on the other side of every hurt. As I've been chatting to my brother and he says, Nick, I don't know how um, I'm going to get through this, having lost their daughter two months ago. He says, I don't know how. I know how. The love of the Father, carry him through. But do we realize the significance of this in our own lives? And do we realize the significance of us walking this road saying, Lord, I want a full revelation of who you are. I want a full revelation of the love that you have for me. The bigness of who you are and the majesty of who you are. Lord Jesus, I just pray for us, Father. I pray, Lord, that we will walk into your presence with confidence, that we won't be a people who shy away. Lord, I pray, Father, that we will acknowledge that it's through your righteousness, Jesus, that qualifies us to go into your presence. It's not us and what we do, but yet we have been created with purpose. We have been predestined to walk into your presence, Lord. To open the fridge, to manage with authority, to overcome obstacles, to get to the other side, to endure this world, and not only that, but to reveal you to those around us. Lord, I pray, Father, that we'll be a people who are brokenhearted for those who are fatherless. I pray, Father, that we will present you at every opportunity that we can, that we will introduce you to, to every single person that we can, whether it's the person begging on the side of the road, whether it's Vladimir Putin, whether it's our neighbor, whether it's our, our, our kids' friends at school, may we introduce you as a good father, as a great father, as an incredible father who supersedes every understanding of father that we've ever had. And King, I pray for just our revelation right now. May you massage this in and may you stamp it with your seal that this revelation never leaves us, Lord. I pray, Father, for this morning as you speak identity, acceptance, and affirmation over each one of us that we'll grab hold of that, we'll understand it, and we'll walk into the fullness of it. 
And Lord, may you continue this good work. Because as Emmanuel says, whose we are defines who we are. And Lord, I pray, Father, this morning that we will have a revelation of whose we are. So that we can be the best children that we possibly can be. As you work in us and through us for your glory, King. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen.